Welcome back to the Engineering for Change podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sherrill, a civil environmental engineering professional studying energy and water policy as a graduate student in the MPA Development Practice Program at Columbia University. And here again, we have with us Marilyn. Hello, Marilyn. It's wonderful to see you again. Good to see Hi, you. Hi, Brian. How are you? Doing all right for a Tuesday. So here we are. For those who don't know me, my name is Marilyn Olguin Clover. I'm a biologist, biotechnologist, and uh, I was a former E4C fellow in water, and I'm currently program coordinator at E4C. So if you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, what is E4C? E4C is a knowledge organization, digital platform, and global community of more than a million engineers, designers, development practitioners, and social scientists who are leveraging technology to solve quality of life challenges faced by underserved communities. Some of those challenges include access to clean water and sanitation, sustainable energy, improved agriculture, and more. We invite you to become a member. Uh, E4C, which is short for Engineering for Change, we didn't mention this before. Uh, E4C's membership is free and provides access to news and thought leaders, insights on hundreds of essential technologies in our solutions library. Uh, you can also find professional development resources and current opportunities such as, such as jobs, funding, calls, fellowships, and more. We invite you to visit our website, uh, www.engineeringforchange.org to learn more and sign up. If this is your first time joining us on this podcast, welcome. Uh, this podcast is a way to stay informed on all the current events in the engineering for global development space. Everything from water to toilet paper to ICT and transportation are all fair game for us in this podcast. We seek our leaders in the non-government organization, public and private sectors working on cutting edge of development to understand the problems, challenges, and solutions for the future of this field. So Brian, what are we talking about today? Well, Marilyn, today we got a really good one for us. So on today's episode, the third in our series, we're gonna be taking a broad look at the current situation of sanitation in both rural and challenging environments and the critical challenges still yet to overcome in those environments. So from here now, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our two guests that we have for us today. The first, uh, Dr. Jonathan Truslove, another fellow fellow of the 2020 cohort represent. Jonathan holds a PhD in civil and environmental engineering from the University of Strathclyde and worked on a research collaboration this past summer sponsored by Engineering Without Borders Australia on sanitation and challenging environments in Cambodia, the link of which is currently published on E4C's website, and we're going to be posting it in the podcast description. Um, so go ahead and take a look at that after you take a listen. And uh, the second guest we have today is Gaetano Romano. He's the Senior Manager at Engineering Without Borders Australia, and he's worked for over 20 years side by side with communities in water resources management and water sanitation and hygiene mostly in Cambodia and Myanmar, but also in Chad, Uganda, and Bangladesh. By all accounts, he is an expert practitioner. So welcome to the both of you. Um, I'm so glad to have you guys on here. Great. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Um, so yeah, I'm a, a research associate at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, uh, Scotland. So I'm involved with a lot of water engineering teaching and supporting some research under a program called the Glasgow Avenues program, mainly looking at environmental and social benefits of blue-green infrastructure in the local streets. And last year I defended and graduated from my PhD in civil environmental engineering. So my research was focused around the 
the legacy of water supply coverage during the Millennium Development Goals to date and the internet interconnected sustainability challenges um, communities face across the life cycle of water supply in rural Malawi. Um, and I'm also a, a fellow fellow with um, Engineering for Change. So I joined last summer as a water research fellow um, and in collaboration with um, EWB Australia, looked at sanitation in, in challenging environments in Cambodia. Thank you very much for that introduction, Jonathan. Uh, Gaetano, would you be able to introduce yourself for us, please? Yes, um, so I am the Senior Engineering Program Manager at EWB Australia, Engineer Without Borders. And at EWB, we focus on technology development, technology development that can have impact on, uh, on communities that allow communities to be part of the process of the technology development so that they not only own the technologies, but they also uh, are in the position to adapt the technologies going forward and, and they can shape their the future and their well-being by being part of technology process. Um, I, I'm an engineer and I have been working in uh, water and sanitation space for more than 25 years, 20 of them uh, on the ground in uh, countries like Cambodia, Myanmar, Chad, Uganda, Bangladesh and, uh, and also the Pacific. Fantastic. Thank you both of you for being here today and, and for taking this time to, to talk with Marilyn and I about this very important subject within the space of international development. Your expertise will definitely be helpful as we continue this conversation today. Um, I think Jonathan, you prepared a quick little introduction to what is sanitation. So for our listeners out there real quick, the, the subject, the idea that we're getting across in this podcast today is a broad look at what is the current situation of sanitation in rural and challenging environments. And more specifically, the critical challenges that are gonna be needed to overcome these issues both now and in the future. Um, and so I'll, I'll pass the mic over to you, Jonathan, if you wanna just walk the listeners through really quick a brief history of what sanitation has been. Yeah, of course. So we're talking about improved sanitation facilities, uh, which are those designed to uh, hygienically separate uh, human excreta from human contact. Um, so globally improved sanitation facilities um, are roughly split between sewer connections and on-site systems. So in many countries, uh, urban areas are primarily served with sewer connections. In the UK, the US and Australia, those are probably the systems we're most familiar with. Uh, but in urban and as well as rural areas across Asia, Oceania and Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, on-site sanitation is the, the principal form of improved sanitation. Um, so those are the types of technologies we'll be talking about um, mainly today. So different types of technologies include you can have wet sanitation technologies such as um, flush and poor flush toilets into the sewers and the connected sewers or on-site uh, septic tanks and pit latrines. There's also dry sanitation technologies which are technologies that remove the water from the system. So um, on-site ventilated pit latrines or composting toilets designed to mainly create a dry product and tackle some of the more off-putting off characteristics um, such as smell that contribute to sanitation being a taboo subject. Um, but sanitation is more than just about toilets. Um, it's, about, it's important in the fight against disease and for safe, healthy livelihoods. So poor sanitation is linked to transmission of diseases such as cholera, diarrhea, dysentery, and reduces uh, human well-being, social and economical impact. Um, investing in sanitation access is 
of huge benefit. Like it's estimated that investing $1 returns about four to $5 due to the reduced healthcare costs and greater productivity due to better access to sanitation facilities. So it's a very important um, service to be investing into. Um, and in the last couple of po uh, podcast episodes, you talked about water and water and sanitation go very much hand in hand. Uh, within the WASH concept, we look at water, sanitation and hygiene um, and international monitoring of drinking water and sanitation has been ongoing since the 1930s. And a lot of attention and progress is brought to access of to drinking water. And COVID in particular has brought a lot of attention to the importance of good hygiene. Um, however, access and progress to sanitation has been, has been slow. Globally, more people own a mobile phone than they do a toilet. Um, there has been notable um, progress in sanitation access. The Millennium Development Goal target 7C aimed to half um, by 2015 the proportion of the population without sustainable access to drinking water and basic sanitation. And between 1990 and 2015, over 2.2 billion people gained access to improved toilets or latrines um, and open defecation decreased globally. Um, but under that target, while the water access target was met, sanitation was one of the, the most off-track Millennium Development Goals globally. So the world missed its MDG target for sanitation by almost 700 million people and 2.4 billion people still lacked an improved facility by the end of those goals. But there's been a lot of work to inspire action to tackle the global sanitation crisis. So there's World Toilet Day, which was established by the World Toilet Organization in 2001 and was officially declared a UN holiday in 2013, um, every November the 19th. And in 2010, the UN General Assembly recognized it, uh, sanitation as a human right. And in 2011, the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation launched a program called Reinvent the, the Toilet Challenge for Sustainable Sanitation. So there's a lot happening in this space. Um, now, as we're going into the decade of action of the Sustainable Development Goals, we've moved um, we've focused more into sanitation and just increasing the access to sanitation. Our goal for 2030 under SDG 6.2 is to increase access to adequate and equitable sanitation and hygiene for all and end open defecation, paying special attention to the needs of women and girls and those in vulnerable situations by 2030. So the target is tracked with the indicator of a safely managed sanitation service, which is the use of an improved type of sanitation facility that is not shared with another household um, and from which the excreta produced is either safely treated on site or transported and safely treated off site. So where we are just now in terms of sanitation access, globally, we're looking at around 74% of the global population or 5.5 billion people with access to at least the basic sanitation facilities, which are improved facilities that are not shared between households. Um, but of the global population, about 45% or 3.4 billion people use a safely managed service. Um, however, there's still significant work to do as 4.2 billion people lack a sanitation, uh, a safely managed sanitation service. 2 billion still don't have access to a toilet or a latrine and around about 673 uh, million still practice open defecation. So 2021, we should applaud the progress that has been made over the last couple of decades, but we really need to start accelerating our efforts to avoid missing our target like we did in the Millennium Development Goals. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much, Jonathan, for that. That was that was incredibly comprehensive and it, it really framed out everything very nicely. I think one place I'd be really interested to start with, um, just opening up the floor for conversation now, um, after that amazing introduction to the topic, um, you, know, you mentioned all these, these successes and the continuing challenges that need to take place here. 
but in terms of time frame and work with communities, individual communities, why is sanitation more challenging than other areas such as water? Um, thanks, Brian, for the question. And um, yeah, that's what we um, also have experienced working for so many years in communities all around the world. Communities are very often very uh, interested in, uh, in participating in water programs, programs that uh, improve access to water and a bit less in programs that um, provide access to sanitation. And this is very understandable uh, in many ways because water is really essential to life and is essential to, to livelihood. So communities uh, can't live and survive uh, if they don't have access to water and, and they struggle if, if the water they access is not safe. On the other side, um, communities, many communities all around the world are still used uh, not to use a toilet, so not to access a proper sanitation. And, uh, and this is just part of their culture. So um, when uh, they approach organizations or organizations approach them, there is uh, very often a request to support access to water rather than sanitation. Very good. So just to follow up with you really quickly, you, you mentioned certain communities. Do you have a particular example where there has been a cultural discrepancy, a misunderstanding with sanitation in, in your own line of work? Um, yeah, I, um, I can think of many examples. What comes in my mind straight away is um, the work I've done in, in Chad a few years ago. Um, in um, an internally displaced people camp. So um, we are talking of an area that was um, really arid and uh, water scarce. And uh, in the camp there were communities uh, coming from many different um, areas of Chad. So um, we had to provide water systems and sanitation systems as well at the same time. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the interest of the communities, the representatives was uh, mainly on water. And then I remember that when we were organizing meetings to discuss sanitation, the construction of toilets and the maintenance of toilets, very often the, the, the communities were, were not attending the meetings. They were saying, oh, we are busy, we have other things to do. So it took a bit of time to uh, bring them on um, on the same understanding that, that we had of uh, sanitation at the time, like an essential service to ensure that the, the health uh, of people, um, could, people could remain healthy in a situation where there were many communities living in a very limited space. Gotcha, thank you, that's, that's a great example. Jonathan, do you have a similar experience working with communities like that, that the sanitation is all shrugged off? Yeah, so while we were working on some of the sanitation and challenging environments um, work last summer, there was uh, notable like themes that were coming up um, in how um, communities either appreciate or didn't appreciate sanitation uh, technologies. And it all comes, it, it, a lot of it centered around the behavior change. Um, if open defecation was quite prevalent and it was 
very widely practiced among some of the uh, communities in uh, Cambodia. So there's a real a real struggle to get that behavior change across that like there's a real a benefit to make a tangible benefit and make sanitation an actual aspirational product. Um, and to actually get across the point that these sanitation services actually provide a benefit to health and livelihoods, which is um, not as tangible as providing safe and clean water, because if you provide a, a new hand pump, a new supply, like the, the benefit is very immediate. You have clean access to water. While sanitation, if it's open defecation, um, it's it's free. It's a practice that's been done for a long, a long, long time. So having that behavior change to an improved sanitation technology is is quite challenging because there's that behavior change and stigma associated with it. So we need to make these sanitation technologies um, more aspirational and actually support the um, like say the privacy and dignity of those who use it. Um, there's a whole safety issue as well with sanitation. Um, Sustainable Development Goals recognizes that, that um, vulnerable um, people, women and, and uh, children, we need to make sure that these sanitation technologies actually provide that privacy and, and dignity. Otherwise, there won't be that behavior change towards uh, a service that is, is designed to improve the livelihoods and health of the communities we're working in. Gotcha. That's a, that's a great point as well. I, you know, it seems it, it, it's fascinating to me because as often as these problems are mentioned that and, and realistically, as you both have said, they, they are legitimate challenges to overcome community misunderstandings, but also realistic technological adversities when it comes to sanitation. In my mind, there's, you know, the, the reality is the donors just don't prioritize sanitation. They tend to prioritize water. They tend to prioritize hygiene through hand washing exercises, through, you know, showering or things of that nature, but sanitation is often left off the table. Um, would you guys be able to, to talk about that? Like, why is that the case? How can we fix it? Things like that. Um, surely, yes. Um, many donors prefer to prioritize water, but also uh, many donors uh, want to see results happening in, in the very short term. And when we talk about sanitation, particularly in challenging environment that uh, require um, a shift in mindset, as Jonathan was saying. So we requires people thinking in a different ways, communities thinking in different ways. And the test of technologies can take years. It's really important that donors understand that uh, organizations like, like ours require a long time to achieve the results, um, that the results we, we want to achieve in communities. So in, in that sense, for example, uh, at EWB, we work with um, the Australian NGO Cooperation Program. And uh, the Australian NGO Cooperation Program has been funded our work in sanitation in challenging environment for years. And this is really helping us in uh, developing the right technologies for the challenging environments where we work in Cambodia. It's important to notice also that when we talk about um, challenging environments for sanitation, um, we talk about many different kinds of environment. I'm thinking of um, high groundwater areas, um, water scarce areas, flood prone areas. Um, and each kind of challenge requires different technology. So if we really want to reach the millennium 
the sustainable development goals of uh, providing sanitation to all, there is a lot of work that we need to do for each of those specific challenges, and, and this requires a lot of time. Um, I, I want to jump in here, um, Mr. Gaetano and Jonathan. Um, so as, as you've been saying, we usually see that water and sanitation go hand in hand, but there's this tendency that um, water is given much more priority and sanitation is left more or less toward the side. Uh, however, um, this is a really important uh, thing to tackle. Um, you have mentioned um, that donors do not view uh, tackling these issues on a long-term basis, but I also wonder um, with respect to the community and how this need is viewed, how uh, it is viewed as an important or not, is there also a long-term uh, view that needs to be transmitted to the communities to try to bring that conscious of, of why this is important to tackle? Um, I say this because um, even, even in, in water scenarios uh, where we're bringing um, safe water to communities and trying to work with them, bringing different technologies. There's always uh, a difference in priorities. People sometimes don't even understand why this is important. And it's, it's even a challenge uh, when you're trying to bring safe water as only. So my question is, um, what is it about sanitation that makes it even more harder uh, working with communities than uh, with water, for example, and and why is why are these technologies or these solutions have why do they have to be viewed in a much more long term, even more so than water? What what is what is it that we we really need to get to? And sorry about the long. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could I can maybe touch on um, one or two of those points. So for the first point, in terms of the donors and practitioners um, improve, increasing access to sanitation. Um, like water and sanitation go hand in hand and the challenges associated with increasing access also, they're very similar between increasing water access and increasing sanitation access. So from what Gaetano was saying about the donors coming in and focusing on very short-term goals, um, this was actually one of the, the, the areas within my PhD and that I believe you guys talked about in I think the second, second episode of the, um, of the water series that it's very appealing for short-term goals and for increasing, say, a hand pump in a community, you're having an immediate effect on the community you're working in. So there's a notable change in clean water access. So from a donor perspective and from a practitioner expect, uh, perspective, having that immediate, immediate um, short-term success can then be a stepping stone to the next project, can be a stepping stone to the next round of funding. And so that's where there's maybe a, there's a challenge in how we approach increasing access on the ground, both in the terms of water and both in terms of sanitation. So we know that short that short term mindset hasn't really been working because we're not engaging, we're not including the communities in that process of that decision making of a service that is essentially going to have a fundamental impact on their lives. And if they don't see the benefit um, and if we don't communicate that benefit, then there's going to be a real challenge and there's going to be abandoned assets. So when I was out in Malawi, there was a number of these abandoned um, boreholes and hand pumps just scattered across the different communities. And that's where the long-term mindset needs to, needs to change in terms of how we approach on the ground. And um, that is an investment into a service approach rather than just increasing access and just increasing infrastructure because we're not just um, investing into infrastructure or investing into people's lives. And there's just gonna be a repeat uh, mindset of, um, 
borehole after borehole, pit latrine after pit latrine. And from a, I suppose from a donor and practitioner mindset as well, that sanitation and pit latrines can be very much accomplished by the community while water supplies and boreholes maybe can't be um, established by communities. So I'll give an example in, in Rwanda, like there was a number of communities we went to visit where they were digging their own pit latrines. So they were taught how to dig their own pit latrines and how to construct their own pit latrines. And then that was left over to the community. And then that was a community responsibility to provide their own sanitation while providing water access, um, particularly deep boreholes requires more, um, say professional approaches to make that um, sustainable. But moving to a long-term perspective with sanitation, there's a hurdle to overcome in terms of behavior change and the cultural um, and social challenges within that community of, of sanitation moving, say, from open defecation to sanitation. So that's not a, that's not a short-term success target. That's not something that can be done in the short term. That's, that's an investment that needs to happen over the long term. That's something that needs to include the community's perspectives and community's um, understanding, because there's, there's no better um, perspective than people that are in that community. So as donors and practitioners, we can't just come in and provide us a, a sanitation service and then leave. We have to include the communities and perspectives within that. We need to include them in the decision-making process and actually um, inform, and there's an educational point with this as well, that there is a benefit to be had for these improved services. And that's not something that can be done over the short term. That's something that needs to be done over time, which donors and practitioners um, perhaps don't have the funding to accomplish over a long period of time. Yeah, also when we think of communities that do not have access to, to sanitation, uh, who, who is suffering more in those communities? Surely women, girls and children. But women, girls and children very often do not have um, a role in taking decisions in those communities. So when it comes to prioritize uh, sanitation versus um, something else, the, the decision very often go on the something else. So on, on side, there is really the need to ensure that everyone in the communities can participate in the decisional process. And there is the need to ensure that the dignity, safety and security of women, women and children is really taken into account as one of the um, main criteria for you know, taking decision of um, where the community should put the attention. So um, I have been working for a few years in the Pacific and in the Pacific Islands, um, there are issues with, with women and girls safety and security in many communities. And the fact that they can't access uh, a toilet close to the house where they live um, is, uh, is a risk for them. So we really need to ensure that everyone in the communities participate in the decisional process. And also when, when we talk about sanitation, uh, surely health is uh, the, the main reason and um, that we need to take into account to promote sanitation, but it's also um, good to talk about status and the fact that um, if you have a toilet, if everyone has a toilet in your community, then your community is very smart and, and probably will be better prepared to, um, to win other challenges, particularly in terms of, of livelihood. So what we try to do is really, in our programs, is really linking sanitation to livelihood 
and uh, try to explain that if you have a toilet and you live a more dignified life, you're also better prepared for other challenges that you have in your community. I just want to follow up with that last point you made, Gaetano, because Jonathan, you made a great point, education. When we were doing the series on water, you know, education was a component insofar as it was important to educate people to have clean water, you know, chlorinate the water, things of that nature is a critical aspect here. But in my mind, sanitation is not so obvious. You need water to live, but sanitation, you know, you don't necessarily need that to live. It doesn't need to be a certain way to be functioning. Uh, Gaetano, I want to follow up because you have particular experience working with EWB in Australia. Has there been formal educational trainings, formal, formal educational avenues that you have worked with to build out that livelihood that, that you keep talking about, which is so important? Yes, so um, our sanitation in challenging program in Cambodian Vanuatu, uh, it's not a standalone kind of program and it really fits in, uh, in broader work that, that we do in communities and, and with communities. And um, we uh, involve the communities in the process of deciding uh, what technology we want to develop from the very beginning. We want to see the buy-in of the communities into this work. And uh, within the analysis of the technology, there are a lot of elements that will be considered. I'm thinking, for example, um, to the, the cost of a toilet. So all the uh, financial analysis that we need to do but also um, the opportunity once the technology is, um, is there to get that technology scaled up. So to have masons and uh, local companies that are in the position of building that kind of technology that is new for them. So there is a lot of training that we do and um, surely edging promotion, but also technical training to ensure that on a side, there is the demand for uh, more toilets, more sanitation, but on the other side, there is also an affordable offer of that. And, um, and when we discuss the technical aspects of the technology, construction aspects, uh, financial aspects, um, social aspects of it, then we, um, we include the, the communities and, and, and this for us uh, is, is something that is working well uh, because when you have the buy-in of the communities then there is more um, potential for that technology to be successful. Gotcha, I don't know, Jonathan, in your experience, I mean, coming from academia in that perspective as well, has education similarly been an avenue to, to gauge discussion and conversation within communities and provide the capacity enabling opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just on the back of Gaetano's point that ed education is like a, a really key part in, in, in the uptake part of it. So we need to make sure that sanitation is, um, doesn't reinforce any of the barriers to that uptake and that acceptance of sanitation um, at the local level. So um, Gaetano mentioned affordability as well. If it's not financially viable for a household, then they're not going to invest uh, time, money, or even their interest in that sort of technology. Um, and that comes into the other point as well as like the household considerations. Um, different households are going to have very different um, priorities when it comes to what they invest their time and money in and different um, 
So the men and women of the house will have very different priorities of like what they would see as important in a sanitation technology as well. So as well as educating the communities as well of the importance and benefits of sanitation to uh, essentially ensure that uptake and pathway to scale, it goes both ways as well. We need to learn what the priorities are for a community. We need to learn what the priorities are for a, um, for a household. And then only that way can we make sanitation technologies uh, targeted to be an aspirational product. Because as Gaetano said, if it's not um, an aspirational product, if it's not a, um, something that's valued in the community, then it's just not going to be um, taken up and it's just not going to be practiced. So on those two points, like we need to understand what's happening on the communities. Um, we need to educate the communities of the benefits of sanitation. Um, and yet only in that instance can we ensure that like sanitation is an actual aspirational product um, and that's actually appropriate and affordable for the communities we're trying to um, increase sanitation access for to improve their livelihoods and health. I, I would say that more and more uh, we realize that working alongside from the beginning uh, to the end or even further with the communities is one of the key aspects to ensure that a solution can be sustainable in time. And also um, after uh, the organization or their research project or uh, the practitioners uh, come to work with that community, it, it's crucial to, to ensure that that keeps going. Um, are there any uh, issues specific to sustainability related uh, to sanitation, sorry, uh, specific to uh, making these projects sustainable or related to the community taking ownership um, of these projects that, that, that you have encountered in the field? Yes, this is a very good point, Marilyn. And I'm thinking of um, the trial we did in Cambodia a few years ago of the Satopan uh, toilet. So the Satopan is, um, is a pan of toilet, is a design that works very well in water scarce areas because um, this kind of toilet requires, um, doesn't require the same quantity of water for flushing that normal one. And we tried that technology in uh, a water scarce area in Cambodia and on the mountain, mountainous areas. So the technology was really fitting the, the context, but people did not accept the technology. And when the organizations that were working on that were trying to, um, to promote a market for that technology, um, you know, the market, the, 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 the initiative didn't, was not successful and, and no one really wanted to buy that toilet um even though uh, there was consistent um there was uh, a consistent advantage in terms of saving time to fetch the water far away from the community and when we did the survey at the end of this um exercise we realized that communities did not like the toilet because the satan was in plastic and then they did not like a pan in plastic they thought was not sufficiently robust and solid in a way, but also is a toilet that um, um, produces a noise when, when you want to flush. 
and uh, and no one wanted the communities to know that they were using a toilet because you know with the noise of the the, the flashing noise everyone would know that some someone in, in in that house was in the toilet so this is really an example where the technology could work very well but because the community was not involved from the beginning it wasn't successful and and therefore what we are working now is is a modification of this technology to make it more uh, acceptable for those communities and when then the communities accept the technology then i think uh, the technology is more sustainable in 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 the long term so this is surely an element but then as jonathan was saying there is also the the financial and the affordability aspect that also need to take into account on the back of that as well so um just like the technology just because it solves a problem or solves a challenge doesn't mean it's going to be acceptable and suitable for the situation there's very much um much more in play rather than just the technical appropriateness and technical characteristics that um will solve the problem of sanitation so um and it's, it's, it's a challenge as well. So in, in Cambodia, some of the work we were doing with um, with EWB Australia and in hard rock challenging environments as well. So one of the biggest challenge for sustainability would be uh, that pit latrines were the traditional way of uh, approaching sanitation in the rural areas. Um, but what do you do when you can't dig a pit latrine in these hard rock areas? You have to come up with a different solution and a different improved solution that kind of accommodates this challenging environment. Um, so we need to make sure we need to involve the communities in that process as well um, to make sure that it's it's actually being uh, taken. And because if pit latrines are the traditional approach and you can't build pit latrines, then the only other option is for open defecation. Um, particularly those sorts of technologies that are designed for those challenging environments aren't considering those local considerations and local perspectives of, say, the Satopan um, found in the first iteration. So it's very much an iterative process. It's very much involving the communities throughout um, because if we're just going for a standardized approach and technologies that solve the problem but aren't appropriate to uh, the people using them, then sustainability is never going to be achieved. These technologies are never going to be long lasting um, and make uh, can ensure those benefits from different sanitation technologies and what sanitation brings. And yeah, I, I'm also thinking at the role of hygiene promotion in all of this. So uh, I remember a few years ago, I was uh, evaluating a water and sanitation project in Laos and, um, and we were really discussing, you know, the, the benefit uh, with communities, the benefit of having the toilet from a health perspective. So uh, while I was there traveling on, on those communities, one night I was eating in a restaurant and watching TV in the restaurant and the TV was passing uh, shampoo and, and soap advertisements from Thailand. And uh, those advertisements you know, were showing uh, what we would consider successful people living in the city, having very good jobs. And they were successful because they were using that kind of soap and that kind of shampoo. And then I realized that uh, that kind of, of um, mechanism sometimes works much better in changing the mindset of the people rather than going around and, and talking about health. So uh, it's good to have a kind of mixed approach. Um, so considering many different aspects of you know, what people think and who they think they are and who they want to be in the future 
but um, yes, it's 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 important, you know, not to focus in the gene promotion uh, specifically and solely on 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 the health side. So I, I dare to say that we have talked about um, the importance of, of course, involving the communities uh, from the very start and throughout all of the project uh, when implementing technologies to solve uh, sanitation problems and, and bring this to uh, communities. We've also talked about having a long-term perspective, not only when working with the communities, uh, establishing a relationship with them and also knowing those cultural and contextual uh, issues that need to be taken into account for the product to be successful, but also from a donor's and practitioner's perspective that this needs to be viewed uh, on a much longer time frame. And we've also uh, talked about the importance of, of finding ways, for example, through education or through commercials, um, of getting uh, to the people trying to transmit the importance of this and changing mindsets. I wonder um, what other things, um, what else do is needed to improve the space and what other things are, are needed? What would be the call to action to, to move forward, especially in um, uh, challenging environments, which seem to be the, the the moment we're at right now that that needs the, the most help. That's that's a very good question, Marilyn. Um, yeah, I I think it's really important to bring everyone on board, uh, as many people and organizations as possible. So the Sanitation in Challenging Environment program in Cambodia has been successful because we haven't worked in isolation. We haven't worked just with the ministry, but we set up um, consultations with a broad range of, of stakeholders there. And uh, we convinced a lot of organizations that Sanitation in Challenging Environment was something very interesting and important to discuss. And, and there were changes that were needed in Cambodia in Sanitation in Challenging Environment. So to me, the, the key point is really bringing everyone into those conversations, surely engineers, researchers, government organizations, but also universities, volunteers, and, uh, and communities. The more we are, the better, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I would build on that point as well, that um, this is no longer just one discipline. It's no longer just about increasing access to infrastructure. Um, it's a multidisciplinary problem. We're going to find challenges in the environment we're working in. We're going to have challenges in the social and cultural aspects we're working in. And there's lots of people working in this space. So as Gaetano said, we don't need to work in isolation. Um, there's lots of different areas and factors that we need to try and understand, such as um, sort of financial aspect of this like how do we make this affordable and how do we make this equitable and like what are those local considerations like what are the priorities of the people that we're working with like even as we discussed earlier um, in the session about existing capacity and supply chains like what's already in practice like do we need to bring in something new or like what's already in this space and um, so i think in the the highly connected world we're in now we have a, a real opportunity to engage with a lot of different people and a lot of different spec um stakeholders and get a lot of new perspectives in, in this sector. And we just need to be open to talking about these sanitation um, 
uh, topics because sanitation, as we've as we highlighted at the beginning, is uh, quite a, a taboo subject to talk about, um, and we just need to be a bit more open about that and uh, making sure we are talking about this and that how important it is to people's lives. And um, related to that, there's always a, something we, we can't go uh, on without asking and is uh, acknowledging the current state we have been in. And I wanted to ask how has uh, the COVID-19 pandemic affected or impacted this field or what has it uh, brought to light? It's still very difficult uh, for us at Engineer Without Borders Australia to understand what the impact of COVID-19 will be. Um, we work in different countries and in each country, the, um, the COVID-19 um, has worked in a different way and has, effect, has affected the country in a different way. So we are still analyzing that. What we um, understand though, is that um, there is the risk of increasing inequalities. Uh, there are obviously serious risks of uh, economic downtown and uh, and, and this will bring, will, will have an effect on, uh, on sanitation, water and sanitation programs as well. So um, we then really need to think of what, uh, how, how uh, increasing inequalities will, will impact on, uh, on water and sanitation and work with communities to understand what those inequalities are. Um, and and how we can contribute in many different ways to supporting those who remain behind. Yeah, definitely. I think the um, the losing the progress that we've made so far, I think, is a is a, going to be a big challenge um, with the momentum we've gained um, from the Millennium Development Goals and Sustainable Development Goals um, of increasing that sanitation um, behavior change as well as access. Uh, but I think when we're there's a lot of attention drawn to and the importance of hygiene. Um, due to COVID and hygiene and sanitation go hand in hand in, in how we're monitoring our progress towards uh, 2030. So hygiene has clear and close links with sanitation. Um, so it's already recognized in, within safely managed sanitation that for it to be successful, hand washing facilities need to be incorporated with new sanitation facilities. So there's a real emphasis on hygiene just now. And I think there's maybe an opportunity um, post-COVID of how that could be integrated into how we're increasing sanitation access and how we're, we can show the importance of sanitation and hygiene together um, from, because hand washing stations and facilities are, for them to be safely managed, need to be incorporated alongside um, and promoted alongside new sanitation facilities and existing sanitation facilities. So I think as well as a challenge of maybe losing that momentum, there's a potential and opportunity post-COVID to really create that behavior change in space for why this is important and we real practical examples as to why this is important post-COVID. Yeah, so very much in the, the case for hygiene and um, sanitation are very much interlinked as part of one of the sustainable development goal monitoring, but also the importance of say hand washing and, and uh, hand washing facilities and sanitation facilities. There's even a lot we can learn from, from how Africa has, has tackled their COVID response as well. So compared to the rest of the world, Africa had a very much a, a more, a higher resilience to COVID than say the rest of the world. And that's that's partially due to the, the infrastructure and expertise that was already in place when it comes to um, pandemics and hygiene practices and sanitation as well. They've already been in place for say like the uh, Ebola, HIV, and 
those approaches and uh, infrastructure and services can be repurposed to tackle COVID. So there's a lot that's already in place in a level and a level of preparedness for when COVID um, became such a global issue that say other nations um, around the world have been just a bit more, a bit slower in the response. So in terms of preparedness, we've, we've really highlighted the importance of hygiene and why it's so crucial to tackling pandemics and future, potential future pandemics. Thank you very much, uh, Jonathan and Gaetano, for your time. I wanted to ask if you had any final messages uh, to any of our listeners that you would like to mention before uh, we wrap up this uh, very interesting talk today. Yeah, my um, final message is that um, we, we have really done a lot of progress in the last few years, as Jonathan was mentioning at the beginning of this conversation. And we still need to continue thinking positive. We can reach the millennium goals. We can provide sanitation to all. It's, it's not an unachievable goal. And we need to convince everyone to, to help us in this journey. Donors, governments, communities, organizations, we can do it and we want to do it. So we, we need to continue on uh, on this journey together. Yeah, I would I would say very much in the same vein that um, we don't need to be isolated in our efforts to try and meet our sustainable development goals. Like we've, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from people operating in um, the different sectors, different spaces that we can take into the sanitation sector, the the wash sector, water sanitation, hygiene is very much interconnected. There's a lot we can take um, in our discussions um, from what's been successful and what our failings are, and I think that's one of the biggest um, values we can maybe bring to the table when accelerating our, our efforts towards the decade of action is learning from those failures um, and not repeating the same mistakes over the last, um, over the last couple of years of uh, the Millennium Development Goals. We need to learn where we went wrong in the Millennium Development Goals and why it's important to really understand the local context and um, ensure quality services are being, being implemented alongside those different factors that contribute to sustainability. Um, so, yeah, we have a, we have a lot to learn from our our previous work and our previous failings, and is there's a real opportunity to engage with um, multiple people in the sector and really, um, really just be more interconnected and understand that this is not just one discipline problem. It's not an infrastructure access problem. It's a, a multitude. It's a multidisciplinary problem. So, I think that's one of the major lessons we can learn with our final push to get to 2030. Uh, awesome, thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Gaetano, so much um, for taking the time to speak with us about this. I definitely learned a lot. I think Marilyn did too. Um, I appreciate you guys. Gaetano, it's very early where you are. Jonathan, very late. So I appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. Real quick, if there was anything you wanted to blast out there in the ether, um, just to mention to our listeners, any upcoming events or activities that you, your, your contacts or organizations are planning for, um, feel free to let them know. Uh, yeah, I, I can just mention um, a couple of things quick. In, in terms of learning the space, anyone and practitioners and academics as well, um, there's a lot of conferences that focus in on this topic. It's not just all water centric. It's, uh, it's very much interconnected and there's a lot of discussions around sanitation. So the one that comes, the two that come immediately to mind are uh, WEDEC in uh, Loughborough in the UK, which is during the summer, and um, UNC Water and Health Science Meets Policy. Um, it's something I went to and 
2018 as part of my PhD. And it was, it was the catalyst for me finishing my PhD. It was a very interesting discussion of all things um, WASH related. Uh, so I believe that's in October this year. So I highly recommend any practitioners working in the space, sanitation um, and water and health that that's a very good conference to, um, to participate in. Also as well, just on a point of, of COVID, so like we've obviously gone to a more remote and virtual environment and conferences have also had to adapt and learning um, spaces have also had to adapt. So there's perhaps um, an opportunity as well to engage virtually. I know the UNC conference opened its doors virtually and for free last year. Um, so if there's any conferences that people listening maybe have wanted to attend in the past, that definitely look that up because they might be have adapted how they're engaging with people um, during this, this unpredictable time. Um, so yeah, that's just in that point of conferences and, and the virtual platforms. That sounds awesome, Jonathan. Thank you so much for, for letting us know about those events and activities. And for those of you who are interested in learning more about those, we'll be posting those links and descriptions of each of those in the podcast description here. Uh, so go ahead, feel free to take a look and sign up. Really briefly, I just wanna to touch on two upcoming events that Engineering for Change has. The first is the Engineering for Change Fellowship Program of which Jonathan Marilyn and myself are alumni. The fellowship applications for this year, 2021, are good until the 28th of February. Uh, so don't forget to take a look. If you're interested, feel free and apply. It's a great, fantastic experience. Cannot speak highly enough of it. It's really a motivational opportunity to build a repertoire professionally if you're interested in the development space and you have great opportunities to meet practitioners, professionals, and everything in between. The second event that Engineering for Change has upcoming is on March 4th. This happens to be Global Engineering Day. On this day, Engineering for Change will be hosting a webinar on advancing sustainable engineering, building the future workforce. Anyways, thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. And we will be in touch. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye.